0: I had heard of the concept before. Uh, People told me it ever since I was a little kid, but I never really grasped the concept until senior year of seminary. It was right around Christmas time, and Ann and I were going to her dad's house in San Diego for Christmas. So we decided we would exchange gifts early. So it was after dinner one night. We had cleaned up, and I I took my present, and I gave it to Ann. And I watched as she opened it. I watched as she opened those tickets. I gave her two tickets to the Broadway musical The Lion King in Milwaukee. So I watched as she opened those tickets, and her eyes got bigger, her smile grew larger, until finally she just broke down and cried. And I'm not talking like just, you know, a tear down her face. It was sobbing. She was so excited. I learned it that night. Theo Epstein learned it in 2004. Who's Theo? Theo is in charge of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. Before he was for the Chicago Cubs, he was with the Boston Red Sox. And what that means, his position is to basically get players onto the field. He signs the contracts. He trades for players. He does all that. Theo grew up a diehard Boston Red Sox fan. His hobby during the summers was to go to games with his dad and his brother who shared the same love and the same passion as he did for the Boston Red Sox. In 2004, Theo found himself in the same position with the Red Sox that he is with the Cubs. He was putting the players on the field. And in 2004, his team brought something to Boston that hasn't been done since 1918. They won a championship. They won the World Series. And everyone in the organization, when you win the World Series, gets a World Series ring. And he took that ring and he gave it to his dad because he said that watching his dad sit there and staring at it quietly meant more than winning it altogether. Theo learned the concept. I learned the concept. Parents, you have learned the concept it's Christmas morning and the kids are tearing into the presents under the tree and you hear their uh, screams of excitement and, and their laughter and their joy. And that is worth more to you than any present with your name under the tree. What's the concept? It's better to give than to receive, right? Right? And this concept is not just an earthly thing. It's not just part of our culture. It's not just a general truth. It's a biblical truth. In Acts chapter 20, we are told, in everything I did, this is Paul talking, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We are joining God on His mission, right? The mission to seek and to save the lost. And in that, it's better to give than to receive. And so here's our first blanks this morning. We will lead the way with irrational generosity... Because we truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, in your worship folder, you have that scale. This is the third week we've done it in a row. We'll probably do it next week too. So where are you on that scale? Are you irrationally generous? Or are you not so generous? Where would you rate yourself? This is just for you. You don't have to share it with me or with anybody else. The Apostle Paul wrote several letters to churches throughout the known world uh, in the first century. And a lot of his letters are what we have now in the New Testament. A couple of those churches that he wrote to, he actually wrote two letters or three letters to. Corinth is one of those churches. Today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And it's the second letter to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 8, Paul brings up the churches in Macedonia. And so where's Macedonia? What churches are we talking about? I have a map here for you. Up here is Macedonia. The specific churches Paul is talking about in chapter 8 is Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Those are the three churches that Paul's referring to. He's writing to the church in Corinth down here. And just so you know where we're at, Jerusalem is actually down here, south down here. And I want you to keep that in mind because later on I'm going to refer to Jerusalem and it'll help to picture where it's at. Paul's writing this letter most likely from this city right here, Ephesus, to Corinth. And he brings up these three churches, the churches in Macedonia. And what do we know about those three churches? We know two things. One, they were extremely poor. They lived in poverty. And two, they were facing extreme persecution. The people were killing them. People were uh, trying to disband their churches because they believed in Jesus. This is what they faced. And here's what Paul says. In chapter 8, verse 2. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Despite the Macedonian churches being poor, we are told that they, it welled up in rich generosity. That Greek word for generosity, it literally means singleness. And it has a connotation of being kind of single-minded and, and focused on one thing. That's the connotation. So, so they were motivated by this single-mindedness, this, this focus and the purpose of what the focus was on. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been so focused on something you can't stop thinking about it? Maybe you woke up in the morning and you just were craving something all day and you just needed it, you felt. For me, that used to be Taco Bell. Uh, A couple of years ago, I would wake up and think of that cheese, bean, and rice burrito. And I would just think about it all day long until finally I broke down and went. And it wouldn't matter if I had to drive 20 minutes one way just to get this cheese, bean, and rice burrito. They could have jacked it up from the $1. thirty or whatever it is to, to 6 bucks, and I still would have paid it because I just could not stop focusing on it. People are like that with Starbucks, aren't they? They wake up and they can't stop thinking of Starbucks. Maybe you can remember back to when you and your love were all, had the fuzzy feelings and everything. You woke up after your first date and all you could think about were, was your, your love and, and him and her and everyone you talked to was about this awesome guy, this awesome girl that we went on a date with. And, and you couldn't think of anything else. That's how the Macedonians were about Jesus, about this message of Jesus, They woke up and the first thing they thought about was, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves others. I want to help. That was their focus. And we're told that Paul, Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They were so focused on joining Jesus, joining God on His mission that they wanted to give and be a part of this to the point where they were so focused, they gave more than they were able. People looked at them and said, hey, Macedonians, this is not smart. You're not being prudent. You're not being wise with your money. This is, this is not smart. This is irrational. You're being irrationally generous. And they didn't care. They didn't care to the point where Paul says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They urgently pleaded with the apostles. They wouldn't take no for an answer. We are going to give this, Paul, and you can't say no. Please, please, please accept this gift. And Paul says, this is more than you can give. No, accept it, Paul. And here's the amazing thing. That money they give... Gave that gift wasn't going to any of the churches in Macedonia. It was going all the way to Jerusalem, thousands of miles away. And guess what? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter didn't exist. No one was taking picture of the new temple that they built with that money. They would never see it with their own eyes, the effects that their gift had. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at the Macedonians... It's pretty convicting, isn't it? It convicts our hearts. It makes us feel bad. When was the last time that I woke up and had just single-minded focus, just single-mindedness about Jesus and this mission I get to join him on? When was the last time that I had single-minded focusness on anything? We live in a world where our attention is grabbed and pulled in so many directions that I can barely focus on one thing for more than 15 minutes before I jump to the next. When was the last time that I was so thankful for what Jesus has done for me that I wanted to be generous? I know I know that I have never in my life gone into my pastor's office and urgently pleaded with him to accept a gift that is beyond my ability because I was so excited and pumped about joining God on His mission. I know I've never done that. And if that's not bad enough, look at what Paul says. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Not only did they say, here's the gift, God, here's the gift, Paul, they said, here's us. Use us. Even if it means, I'm in the middle of my work day. Call me up, Paul, I'm ready to go. Send me to Corinth, God, I'm ready to go do work. Doesn't matter if I'm going to lose my job because I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm ready, I'm here, I'm willing. You look at the Macedonian churches and it convicts our hearts, doesn't it? It makes us hit the floor because we aren't like that. I'm not like that. Imagine for a second that it's before Genesis chapter 1. God is there looking out at his blank canvas that he's about to add his masterpiece to. God is sitting there and he's contemplating something. He's focused on something. And it's not the beautiful creation that he's about to create. And yet he creates it. Let there be light. And there's light. By the end of Genesis chapter 1, everything's created. Here's... The world. His focus still hasn't changed. Thousands of years later, His focus still hasn't changed. When the time fully came, God sent His Son. The focus still the same. Single-minded focus. Single-minded. He had one purpose, and that's all He could focus on, and that was saving you from before the creation of the world, God had your salvation planned out. That was His purpose. And that's all He could focus on. And as Jesus lived on this earth like a human being, He knew what was coming. He knew the beatings were coming. He knew the the whippings were coming, the rejection. He knew the nails were coming that were going to hang Him to the cross. And yet He never lost focus. He was here single-mindedly on one mission, and that was to redeem you. And that's what He did. And here's the amazing thing about our God, isn't it? Is that He's so big, He's so powerful, He's so almighty, far and beyond us, that His focus can be more than on one person, right? He can have 100% focus on you, and He can have 100% focus on me, And 100% focus on your next door neighbors. The ones who don't know Jesus. And that single-minded focus doesn't stop now. Yes, you believe in Jesus. Yes, you believe that you're going to heaven because of what Jesus has done for you. But God's single-minded focus isn't done yet. It won't be done until you are in heaven standing next to His side. That's what our God has done for us. That's what God does for us and keeps doing for us. He's single-mindedly focused on our salvation. And it's not just us. It's for the world. And so we get to join God in this mission. What an amazing opportunity. And to do that, we are able to be irrationally generous, aren't we? God has given us everything that we have for this mission. But what happens? What stops us? We sit and we think, well, if I'm irrationally generous, I might run out. And then what? There's a story about Winnie the Pooh, actually. Winnie the Pooh one day was... Trying to get into this hole in a tree because there was honey in it. And he couldn't fit in because Pooh Bear is a little chunky. So he couldn't get in. And, and next thing you know, Piglet comes running down and says, Hey, Pooh, what are you doing? I'm trying to get the honey in the tree, he says. Piglet said, I can help you. So Piglet climbs up to the hole in the tree and he bends down to get some and an acorn falls out of Piglet's pocket and lands at the bottom of the tree making a musical sound. Piglet looked down at Pooh and and he thought that was pretty cool so Piglet drops another acorn and pretty soon Piglet's dropping all these acorns making all this beautiful music while Pooh's on the ground dancing. Next thing you know Tigger comes uh, bouncing over and he's loving it and Piglet's dropping away all these acorns. Pretty soon, Piglet runs out of acorns and he says, Hey guys, i got a whole stash in my house. Should I go get them? Yeah, go get those acorns. Piglet runs to his house, grabs the acorns, comes back. He's dropping all these acorns. Pretty soon, the whole forest is out there dancing. Roo, uh, Kanga, all of them dancing away as Piglet's dropping all these acorns. But pretty soon, the stash runs out. Piglet's been a little too irrationally generous. Oh no, Piglet said. This was my hibernating food. This is what was going to get me through the winter. What am I going to do? And so the gang sits and they think and they think and pretty soon someone says, I'm going to call Christopher Robbins. Christopher Robbins comes out, cuts down the tree and all of Piglet's acorns given back to Piglet. And not only that, but what did Christopher Robbins bring? A picnic for everybody. We know the creator of the world. We know the one who created time. We know the one who created uh, wealth and money. And guess what? He's more powerful than Christopher Robbins. He can make money and time come out of wherever he wants to come out of. And guess what? A lot of times, when we're rationally generous, not only does he bless us with Uh, more money and more time, but He blesses us with blessings we don't expect. Just like Christopher Robbins brought the picnic basket. You see, we know the Creator of the world. We know the provider. And we can trust that He's going to take care of us. But did you notice something about what Paul said? If you notice in these verses here, Paul never says how much the Macedonians gave. It's not there. Why? Because at the end of the day, God doesn't need your money, does He? <coughs> at the end of the day, God doesn't want your money. I don't need your money. Peace doesn't need your money. What does God want? He wants your heart, right? Right? He wants your heart to be so in love with this message. He wants your heart to be so overcome with awe and amazement that Jesus was so single-mindedly focused on me from before the creation of the world. He had my salvation planned. And not just me, but everybody. He wants us so focused on that and so in love with that message that it will naturally flow out of our hearts. It will naturally flow out of our hearts. So how do we get there? How do we grow to be that irrationally generous? Well, we grow in grace. Acts chapter 4 says, "...with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and brought the money from the sales. What motivated that? God's grace working so powerfully in their hearts. God's undeserved love and forgiveness. Again, being generous doesn't necessarily just mean with wealth. Being generous with time as well. We can be generous... When we're serving here at peace, whether it's cleaning, bringing uh, refreshments, uh, donating your time to to be part of the children's uh, program, whenever we do that, that's being generous. We can offer to make a meal for someone who just got out of the hospital, for someone who uh, just had a baby. That's being generous. And one more thing about being generous In order to be generous, we not only are generous when we wake up, but we need to plan for it. Isaiah 32, verse 8. But the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. If I'm going to be irrationally generous, I have to plan for it. Otherwise, I'm just extremely reckless with my my gifts. And so we need to plan to be irrationally generous. That means that we sit down and we look at our budget and we say, okay, here's how I can be a little more irrationally generous. We look at our calendars and say, alright, here's what I have going on this week. Here's where I can fit in more time to donate to church, to volunteer. To sit down with that family next door and have coffee with them or dessert to talk to them about Jesus. You need to plan for that. And when we plan for it, then we have the opportunity to be irrationally generous. God and we, we are joining God on His mission to make disciples, to lead people to Jesus. And what a joy, what a privilege it is to join Him and to be irrationally generous for that mission. Amen. Please stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for everything you've blessed us with. Continue to watch over our families that we may be a blessing to you and to your kingdom. Amen.